again, if you're new here, my name's Chris. I'm one of our pastors. Great to meet you. Um, hang around afterwards. I've been looking forward to these hot dogs. I, Christy offered to pick me up a hot dog. She knows I love hot dogs. She's like, I'll pick you up a Costco hot dog. And I was like, no, no, no. Paget's grilling hot dogs on, on Sunday. I'm saving myself. So I can't wait. All right, but that's not the testimony. Um, but speaking of Chris Paget, if you don't know Chris Paget, Chris is the global director for Antioch, meaning he oversees all the international work that we are doing around the world. And he is an incredible pastor and leader in this. And this last weekend, he did something that was so helpful. He dreamed this up of, hey, we're going to do a re-entry retreat for people who've come off the field in the last five years. And see, what that means is they were living overseas, they moved back to the States, and they went through that transition, which most of us have not done, but most of us have experienced change in our life. And we understand that anytime we go through a change, change is a decision, but transition is a process. And that, that process is where things get lost, especially when you're moving from a different culture into another one. And he had a whole weekend where families and, and singles were able, who've lived overseas were able to come back and have just some opportunity to talk about the transition and some of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it and just be cared for and loved on. And, you know, we got to go and, and be a part of that. We had volunteers go and serve. We had the kids were there. It was an incredibly rich time. And I'm just even seeing some faces for people who are out there. And I know it was just refreshing to see that we don't just care about getting people out the door. We care about people's souls once they come back through the door. And just, if you see Chris Paget, just tell him way to go and, and love on him because it was a great thing. We had a great team around it. The other thing that is, this is like a testimony and like a, hey, let's keep praying for that we never have to share these testimonies going forward. So you, you may have known that last year, you know, we started Unbound Now Austin. Unbound is our anti-human trafficking arm. It was birthed out of Antioch and it started last year and it has just exploded here in this city, which is a beautiful thing because we're able to care for so many people. It's also a heartbreaking thing because there's the need to care for so many people. And one of the things I just want to celebrate is that God is moving mightily in this team. Like God is using them to impact people's lives in neighborhoods and in government. And, and it's an incredible, incredible thing that's taking place. In fact, it's, I don't remember the exact number of people that you're serving right now. But it's a lot. They're at max capacity. And it's a waiting list to be able to serve the needs of the people. So what I want you to encourage you to do is I want you to, to go to the Unbound Now Austin website. And I want to encourage you to read about what's going on and find the different ways that you can be involved. Whether it's setting up a training or being part of it, serving with them, whether it's giving to what they're doing, they're at max capacity and there's a waiting list for their services. God is using them to, to meet real needs in, in people's lives. And so we want to, as a church, continue to rally behind this thing and say, God, would you eradicate trafficking in our city? 
Would you move so mightily that, that Unbound Now doesn't have to care for people because we've fought to see it eradicated? Amen? That's our, that's our dream, is that we would see that, not in our city, all right? We're believing God to do that. All right, now I'm going to jump in to what we're talking about. Uh, we've been in this series called Church in the Wild. It's on the book of Acts. We've been in it for many months now, and we are coming up to the final days of it. We've got two weeks left of this series. I'm preaching both of those weeks, and then in, in three weeks, we've got Pastor J.D. coming back, and he will, yeah, come on, it's going to be awesome. Like, he, he started his reentry process this past week, coming into the office, getting back in the rhythm of being in work after his six-month sabbatical, and it was so good for our team to be back together. Like, we love our pastor, and we're so thankful for what God's been doing in his life. And so on the 24th, we're going to be doing an interview with him for just him to unpack some of that, what's been taking place in his heart. It's going to be hard for him to share all that God's been doing in six months in a 30-minute window. We're going to experience it for many months to come, but I want to encourage you, be here on that Sunday just so you can hear what God's been stirring in him. I've gotten to hear it, and I am so encouraged. I'm so hopeful for what God is doing in him, what God is doing in our church, and what God's doing in this city. So come and be a part of that. But what we're going to do for the next two weeks is I'm going to close out this series. And last week, what we started talking about is looking at Acts 17 through 28. We had been going week by week, chapter by chapter, and we said, hey, we're going to take this last chunk because it's the story of what's going on in 17 through 28. If you've read the book of Acts, what you realize is it can feel a little repetitive. And what's taking place is it's just the retelling of a story. And it's the story of how the church was established in town to town to town. And it's often the story of Paul showing up in a city, going to the synagogue, ticking off the Jews, getting kicked out of that synagogue, then going to the Gentiles, seeing a harvest of, of people wanting to respond to the message of Jesus, then the city getting upset at Paul and trying to murder him and him leaving that city. And then he moves on to the next city. Wash, rinse, repeat. That happens in chapter after chapter after chapter. The beauty of what's taking place is it's though the story is repeating itself, it's seemingly in, in 17, in 18, in 19, it's kind of the same thing taking place. What you see happening is the church is being established in city after city after city, no matter what comes against it. The church is prevailing. The church is actually fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus gave. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus declared that the church would be a prevailing church. He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That word overcome is the, the word we're paying attention to here. It's the same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. 
And that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you might be able to escape. That's that word again. That you might be able to escape all that is about to happen and you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. This word is the Greek word katashui. And what it means is to prevail against the forces that are coming against you. What it means for us to, to prevail, to really understand what that means, is that we would be victorious against the forces that come against us because we have access to a greater power than any of those forces. That's what it means to prevail, to overcome, to be able to escape, to withstand. It means that we are victorious in whatever comes at us. So what we're seeing in these chapters is how, then, did the church prevail? Because it did, but how did they do it? In what ways did they, did they grab hold of that allowed them to prevail? They, they did it. They prevailed by prevailing with people. They, they prevailed by, by living from the power of God. And they prevailed by staying engaged with God in the midst of suffering. Last week, we talked about prevailing with people. And what we talked about is the relationships that were needed in the life of the church, in the life of you, that helps you prevail. It's the reason I, I said last week, if, you're, if you heard it, come next week and we'll tell you how to do this. Because there were three types of relationships we talked about. And, and this is a great way for you to, to find those relationships if you don't have them is this Sunday what we're doing and, and what's going to be taking place afterwards. Because those, those three relationships that all of us need that allow us to prevail no matter what comes up at us is friendships that we can just do life with, partnerships in the kingdom of God, people that we are going to advance the kingdom of God, we are going out on mission with. And we need mentors, and we need to be mentors. So we need friendship, partnership, and mentorship. What I want to encourage you to do, practical side note, open this card up. You can even do it while I'm preaching. I won't be offended. Fill it out. Find a place to matter. This is your opportunity. When you fill this thing out, when you say, I'm going to serve on a team, you're finding partnership. And that partnership, I guarantee you, this is a bona fide preacher guarantee, that if you will jump into a, a serve team and start partnering to build the kingdom of God with people, when something in your world rises up that feels like it's going to overpower you, you all of a sudden have partners with you to help you stand. And if you jump into a life group and you're willing to, to give your life to people and, and love them and, and walk with them through their good times and their hard times, they will walk with you through your good times and your hard times. You'll have to risk on relationship, but you'll get some friendships out of it. So I want to encourage you, fill this thing out, hang out afterwards, and jump in. And now I'll start talking about what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to look at Acts chapter 19, and we're going to spend our time in, in, in verses 1 through 20, and we're going to talk about what does it look like to prevail with power, living from the power of God. Starting in, in verse 1, we're going we're gonna to just 
linear minds. I love you, you love me, because I'm like you. What we're going to do is we're going to walk 1 through 20, and we're going to break it up in three sections. We're going to break up what happens in these 20 verses in three different ways. We're going to see there's going to be the first part is understanding where the power comes from. Like, literally, understanding it. Like, having the knowledge of why we need the power and how that power comes into our life. Then we're going to look at and we're going to see what happens when that power begins to work in our own lives. What it does to us. How it, how it serves our community. And then the last part is, is we're going to see when, when that power actually begins to transform our lives, how it begins to reform cities and the, the dramatic impact it can have. So beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 19. Can you all see the screen behind me if I'm standing here? Great. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. When he found some disciples, he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Paul tells them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him, that is Jesus. Upon hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on him. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 of them in all. All right, why are we highlighting this section? Why does this matter? It matters because our behaviors in life are directly influenced by our beliefs. And our our beliefs are formed by what we know. And our beliefs actually become strong when we understand what we know. When you know something, it it informs that belief. And then that belief shapes your behaviors. If you don't know something and, and, and your belief, if you don't know why you believe something and it gets challenged, that belief is pretty shaky. It can be rattled pretty easily. But if you know why you believe something... And, and then you live from that place and you have that experience. You have this, this double-edged sword of knowledge and experience that is super powerful. So what Paul does when he starts this is he just asks a simple question to understand, do they even, where are they at? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? No. We, we got John's baptism. Okay, what's John's baptism? He says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He was pointing to the Messiah to come. This Messiah is going to come, so repent and turn back to God. That's what these people had believed in. They didn't know that Jesus had come, that the Messiah had come. So what that means is they were living from the law. They were living from the old way. John's baptism was another form of, of, it was a a different representation of sacrifice. When the Jewish people would come and make a sacrifice, what they would do is they would bring something to the altar as a symbol of them repenting of their sins and turning back to God. 
When John was baptizing people, it was another picture of you being baptized, not in the name of Jesus, but in the hope of a Messiah to come. So when Jesus, when they hear about Jesus and they get baptized in him, what they're then doing is they're getting baptized, identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They are now recognizing, hey, the old way of, of having to sacrifice in order to be made right with God each time we do something wrong is done. When we are baptized now into the name of Jesus, we are recognizing that he was the final sacrifice. That no longer are we having to do this over and over to find our, to be made right with God. But we are actually now right with God. This was a massive moment in the establishment of this church. They went from living from the law to living from the grace of God. It was powerful. And that's why Paul taught, stopped and explained it. I'm sure it was longer than the one sentence that we read. I'm sure it was a series of conversations that took place so that they could understand. And then they were, he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Paul, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No? Okay, then let's come back to that because it's important that you know what's going on. Because what you know is going to shape your belief. And once this belief is, is shaped, it'll start impacting how you live. And how, that, how you then live will then help you face any challenge that may come in your life. This is a, a critical moment for these guys. But what, what comes next? What comes next is they begin to start to live from this new way. They have knowledge of what they've just walked in. Their beliefs are being shaped and, and changed, and they're starting to live in a different way. Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 8 says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for about three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But then some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Basically, Paul started a discipleship school where he met with people every day and they talked about these beliefs. They established them. Said this went on for two years. Two years, meeting daily, every day to do this. And what happened? All the Jews in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's really important to catch. Says they met daily to discuss these things, and the pro everybody in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. What does that tell us? That they met to, to grow in their understanding, and then they left, and they went out and shared what they had learned. It wasn't that they just heard, they did. They heard and did, and things changed. God moved. They went from being these people who didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. When it says these disciples, it's that same 12 group. Those same people that Paul met on the road who had a hunger and a passion and wanted to see something. They obviously had some zeal in them and Paul saw them and stopped them. There was something there. They went from people that didn't have a knowledge of the Holy Spirit to now being people that have seen the whole province of Asia here. In two years, 
That's pretty incredible. When we stop and think about that, they went from not knowing to seeing an entire region. They went from not knowing to being the people that were going. God was moving, stirring within them, doing incredible things within them. And it goes on to say in in verse 11 that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So, prevailing with power. That's what we're talking about. We're coming back. We're living from the power of God. There's these disciples that are living in this discipleship school. They're meeting every day together. They're growing in God, and then they're going out and doing what Jesus did, as Paul taught them. And they're seeing God move. The thing I find really interesting is that it says extraordinary miracles were done through Paul. That means there were also ordinary miracles being done. If extraordinary miracles are like Paul's apron being given to someone and them getting healed when he's not even around, what's the ordinary miracle? Had it just become so commonplace to see people touched and healed, that for something to be considered extraordinary, a miracle had to take place without anyone even there? That stirs me up. That when you live from the power of God, when you live full of the Holy Spirit like these guys were, miracles become so ordinary that you start to classify what is an ordinary miracle versus what an, what's an extraordinary miracle. Let me ask the question that I asked myself this week. Does that, is that what my life looks like? Is my life like that? Are miracles ordinary in my life because of how I live connected to the Holy Spirit? Because of how I live in him, with him, through him. It challenges me. Challenges me to say, okay, where are you wanting this to be ordinary? Where are you wanting this to just be normal? We read the Gospels and we see that the ordinary life of Jesus was that he would go around and he would heal the sick. He would feed the multitudes. He would cleanse lepers. He would cast out demons. It was an ordinary part of his life. And the whole reason Jesus took on disciples is to teach us how to live. So our life is meant to look like that too. Because because why? Why did Jesus do that? Jesus did that because often the miracle is what softens the heart of people to receive what is the real impact, which is the message of the gospel. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus went from town to town, and he would show up at a town, and there would be a demon-possessed man living in a graveyard. 
And what would Jesus do? He would heal the man first. Before the man could ever respond and, be, and have his life changed, Jesus would go and meet the felt need. Why does this kind of, why is this sandwiched here in the middle? What we're going to see at the end is a city set on fire and completely reformed. That's the spoiler alert. That's where the story's going. But why is this sandwiched in the middle? It's sandwiched in the middle because these miracles that were taking place is what was softening the hearts of the people. God wants to use us living from the Spirit of God wherever you are, whether you're on campus, whether you're working, you know, if you're going back to the office, whether you're working at a coffee shop, God wants to use you where you are to help soften hearts of people as you live from the Spirit of God. There, our city is in need to see a church that is prevailing and that is taking ground and seeing people's lives transformed. The reason that signs, wonders, miracles, these things that we would now say are extraordinary, but when Paul's day were ordinary, the reason they're so important and the reason that Jesus did it is it softened hearts. It prepared the way for people to receive what God wanted to do. Because when people saw something, they took notice. They began to go, whoa, okay, that, there's something about that. There's something real going on there. Um. I don't have this in the notes, but I got time. So, brief history. I grew up in a church. I grew up going to church my whole life. But I grew up in a church where if you would have asked, if Paul would have asked me, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, I would have said, I have not heard there is a Holy Spirit. That's the just church background I grew up in. It really was like the, the trinity that I had heard of was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. I say that tongue-in-cheek, joking, but it really was. So when I, when I came to, to college and I heard about the Holy Spirit, what stirred my heart was a miracle. You know, I, uh, I went to Antioch and Waco, and the first Sunday I went... I had had a long-standing, I've probably shared this before, but I had had a long-standing shoulder is, issue from baseball. And it caused me daily pain that I had just come to live with for a number of years. And I go with a group of friends. We're checking out churches. You know, we're new to college, you know, freshman year kind of stuff. So we're doing our church hop thing. Uh, what church are we going to land at? And we go to this Antioch church and... You know, at the end of the service, someone stands up and, you know, like, hey, we're going to do some ministry time. We're going to pray for some people. Specifically, if you've got a, a bum left shoulder, we want to pray for you. And I was like, whoa, that is me. And everyone I, I was with was like, this is weird. And so we left because they were my ride. <laughs> but I tell you what, I couldn't stop thinking about it all week. I'd never heard anything like it. 
So I went back the next week. I went and found the guy who was up on stage. It was actually Liz Griffin's dad. Liz, our, our, our pastor Liz, who helped plant this church. It was actually her dad, and I went and found him. And I said, hey, I don't know how this stuff works. I don't know if it expired last week or what. <laughs> but I was the bum left shoulder guy. Can you pray for me? And I got healed. I couldn't explain it. But it, it, it drew my heart out. So I showed up the next week. And a guy asked if he could take me to coffee. And then he asked me, to take, asked me if he could take me to coffee next week. And he just kept asking me. And like four months into it, I, I picked up that he was discipling me <laughs> and teaching me how to spend time with God and learn. And over the course of the next few years, my life got radically transformed. But it started with a miracle. It started with the manifest power of God showing up in my life. And let me, let me tell you, the manifest power of God, it, it, is, it is miracles. It is signs, wonders. It is people getting healed. It is also you taking a moment before you walk into the office to wait on the Lord and say, God, what do you want to do today? And then sharing that with the, you know, he brings, you know, Kathy to mind. And you say, okay, God, what do you want to do in Kathy's life? What do you want to say to her today? And then you share that. That is an ordinary miracle taking place in Kathy's life. It is the power of God moving in our lives that softens hearts and prepares people for the life-transforming work that God wants to do in them that then reforms a city, that completely flips a city upside down. Look at what happens in the, in the rest of the verses, beginning in verse 13. Remember the context. Extraordinary miracles are taking place. Paul's giving out, Paul are, I don't know if he's giving them out or people are stealing his handkerchiefs and aprons. You ever wondered like that, well, if Paul was showing up to work every day being like, what happened to my apron? Where'd it go? I think it was probably more along those lines, having read other things about Paul. He was probably not handing out his aprons, you know, for saying, go lay this on somebody. It was probably people taking his stuff. Anyways, where are we? Acts chapter, Acts chapter 19, verse 13. So some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches... I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? How do we become someone that the spirit realm knows who we are? We walk step in step with Jesus every day. We become those people who just say, I am going to walk with you. And when it's not glamorous, when it's not the big, flashy, extraordinary miracle, but I'm going to be the kind of person that keeps my heart engaged with what you are doing, Holy Spirit, in whatever you've called me to do. And I'm going to respond to it at every turn. Paul was known by this 
demon, by this in the spirit realm. I want to say, not because like Paul had the biggest Instagram account that was being followed by everyone. No, Paul was known because of his obedient response to God, no matter what it took. That's why he was known in, to, to the spirit realm. I want to be someone that just says yes to everything God asked me to do. To where the, when the, res- you know, when the response is, yeah, I know who Chris is. Jesus, I definitely know. Chris, I've heard about. And it just challenges me. Like when I read things like this, I hope that part of it challenges you too. Do, am, I, am I someone that is known? Not because I want to be known by the world. That's not what is happening here. Paul doesn't want to be known by the world. Paul's known in the spirit realm because he walks with Jesus and he does whatever he says to do, no matter what it costs Paul. Floggings, running, he says yes. We'll finish up and then talk about what happened. It says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they came to a total of 50,000 drachmas. And a drachma was a, a silver coin worth about a day's wage. So 50,000 days of work. That's a lot of days. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What has happened? A miracle that Paul wouldn't, I mean, Paul wouldn't, it wasn't even a miracle. Like some, some random guys tried to go cast out a demon and they couldn't because they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. They, weren't, they didn't know him. They got their butts whooped in a city is turned upside down. You know, I would say it wasn't that moment that turned the city upside down. It was the two years worth of moments leading up to that. It was a tipping point. It was just a tipping point. For two years, they lived full of the Spirit of God. They met daily. They went out into the city. They spread the word. And then something happened, and it sent it over the edge. Let me stir up your faith. There's some things that want to tip over the edge. There's some some of you that have been living in radical ways that have been saying, I'm saying yes to God no matter what it costs me. I'm going for it. I'm doing it. I'm going to live on the edge. And you're reaching a tipping point. God's about to do something incredible because of how you've lived. Because in the spheres that you've been in, he's going to tip it and it's going to be something incredible. It's going to be powerful. And it's going to flip a city upside down so much so that the people are confessing their sins openly. And they're turning 
from sorcery. They're, they're taking all their magic books, their, their livelihoods. So these people made income this way. And they, they burned them publicly to show that, hey, we are going in another way. You know, I was, it was, it's like revival hit. Restoration started to happen. What's revival? Revival is, is not a meeting. Revival is when, when dead things come back to life. Revival is when people return to God who've walked away. Revival is when those who've never said yes to Jesus say yes and their souls come alive again for the first time. Restoration, what is that? It is broken things being mended. It's what happens after revival. Revival happens and, and, and dead things come alive and what those dead things realize is, oh, there's some broken things that need to be restored. Sometimes that's bodies, sometimes that's relationships. And God starts to restore those things. And the fruit of revival and restoration is reformation, where things start to change. A whole city gets transformed. We are going to prevail in this city, not because of great strategies that we come up with, but because we live full of the Holy Spirit. That's what these guys did. And that's what changed the city, is they just kept meeting with him, meeting with each other, and going out and seeing the Spirit of God change people's lives. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Wherever the band is, you guys go ahead and start making your, your way. We're, we're going to respond today um, by just saying, God, would you come and fill us with your spirit again? Would you come and, and do something in our own hearts? Stir us up afresh. Pour out your spirit on us. You know, take it back to where it started in Acts 19. Let's be, let's be like those 12 hungry people on the side of the road that drew Paul's attention. Can, can we just say, let's be that hungry that just says, we're so hungry, we're attracting the attention, and we're saying, God, would you fill us with your spirit again? We want to be those people that are used like a tipping point because you want to pour out your spirit on us. Amen?